It's time for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Doug is a certified financial planner, providing you with a personal financial hotline to answer your questions about tax planning, investments, retirement planning, estate planning, and education planning. Doug and Linda are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing financial and investment services since 1983. Doug and Linda will be answering your questions on WPTF's phone lines anytime during the next hour. Call 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Call toll-free 1-800-662-7979. And for mobile phones, it's star 680. And now, Doug and Linda Lewis and Money Matters. Hello there, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters with Doug and Linda has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all of your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 20 years. And again, with me as usual tonight is my wife, Linda, who works with me in our firm, Lewis Financial Management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. Doug and I are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing investment in financial advice since 1983. For over 20 years, we've been answering your questions on the WPTF phone lines. They are your questions and our answers. So sit back and enjoy, or if you're free, call us tonight on the open lines. We'll take your calls anytime during the next hour. You're free to call in and ask any financial question about your own personal financial planning. Call us at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Or you can call us toll-free, long-distance, at 1-800-662-7979. Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, What's a will? What's a living will? And yes, it really can confuse you, but you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs. And people are asking, is there any solution? Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles. And that's the Certified Financial Planner. It's the certified financial planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the certified financial planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life. Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt. Well, yes, Linda. And yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement. 
and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan. Others are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it, and if so, how should they invest it? Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient, or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts? If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments. Home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right, Lynn. And, of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds? bond mutual funds, equipment leasing partnerships, REITs, CDs, gold, annuities. So, Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle. And to you out there listening, if you've got a question on your mind about cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, insurance or investments, Call us now on the open lines and we'll answer your financial planning questions. Those numbers to call are 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Out of towners, call us toll free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you just want to sit back and listen to the callers through the years, welcome to the show. Securities offered through HBEC Inc., member FINRA SIPC, HBEC, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management, LLC, are not affiliated. Investment advisory services offered through Lewis Financial Management, LLC, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, Doug, uh, I saw an interesting article um, entitled, Things That You Should Know About Funds. Did you see that article in the Wall Street Journal? Well, then, you know, it was an awfully sunny day. Oh yeah. I was sitting out on the deck. I was sitting out on the deck and I was just enjoying that this is almost, it doesn't get much better than this. It really doesn't. It was a lovely day. As I was stretched out, I did see that article. Yeah, I did. I have to admit, I saw it. Uh, And what comments do you have? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it was in the Wall Street Journal section and people are going to sell you mutual funds and they're going to tell you all kinds of strange things about the funds while it's the best funds since sliced bread and all this and that. That's true. They can tell you about the funds company's great reputation and the, the stars that they have and the one year and the three year and the five year record. All that is, it's the kind of thing that people do when they sell anything. And when they sell mutual funds, but there are some things that nobody wants to tell you that you need to know. There are. And what are some of those things that you should know? 
Well, if you're going to be investing in mutual funds, if you're going to invest in mutual funds, one of the biggest things is to find out what are the total fees of the fund and where do they go? You know, a lot of people confuse fees and sales charge and loads and commissions. There's a lot of stuff happening inside a mutual fund. All of that should be disclosed, shouldn't it? It should be, but it's awfully hard to find, Lynn. It isn't so easily found. Uh, the the matter of a, of a... Well, let's get a few definitions. Sales charge is the same thing as load. Okay. So if there's a sales charge, that's a load. Or if there's a load, that's a sales charge. And that is what somebody is paid who is selling you the fund. That's a one-time expense. And that can be as much as five and three quarters percent. Uh, you need to learn how to go deep in the prospectus and find ways to reduce it. If that's the fund you want, there are probably lots of ways you can reduce it. And I know in our firm, sometimes we find ways to reduce it all the way down to zero. But you need to be able to know where to find those places. But that still is just a one-time expense, and that is a sales charge. That's not really the fee. The annual fee, which is in the prospectus called the expense ratio, this can vary all over the place. It can be anywhere uh, as high as 2% a year and as low as a tenth of a percent a year. And that's going to be the cost of running the fund. And so you need to find out because that money is coming out of your pocket. Funds that have higher expense ratios are going to leave less for the investor. Funds that have lower expense ratios are going to leave more for the investor. That's the what, what it costs to run the fund. But uh, there is another expense that's very hard to find, Lynn. And what is that, Doug? That is really what the fund manager pays. He doesn't charge. He pays when he buys and sells stocks inside the fund. Because every time the fund buys a stock or sells a stock, there is a cost. It's a commission. And really, uh, that's called the turnover ratio. Picture 100 stocks in a fund. Okay. Well, if there's a 100% turnover ratio at the end of the year, then they've all been sold and replaced by another. The higher the turnover ratio, the worse it's going to be for the investor. And Linda, you know, before we go to the next one, I think you forgot to in- introduce an important guest tonight, didn't you? Oh, yes, that's for sure. Well, I'd like to welcome our daughter, Deborah. Deborah's joining us on the show today. Welcome, Debs. Thank you, <laughs> Mom and Dad. It's good to be back. Long time, on and off, on and off through the years. Good to have you back again, Deborah. Thank you, thank you. All right. Now, let's go back. Okay, yeah, let's go back to, Deborah. what would you say is another expense that's inside of a mutual fund? The cost of the manager? Yeah, the cost of the manager himself. And when we focus on the manager, one of the crucial things to see is, does the manager invest in his own funds. You know, I remember meeting Peter Lynch one day on an elevator. He was a very famous manager of a fund called the Fidelity Magellan Fund back in the 80s. And I asked him uh, where he invested his own money. He said, I would never invest in the Fidelity Magellan Fund. <laughs> uh, the point is, 
if a manager is investing in his own fund, then you can't, you've got the best chance of having a very good performing fund. At least the bottom line is that fund managers that do have money in their own fund do better. I think the article that you found, Linda, pointed to Warren Buffett, who has 99% of his own wealth in his own investment vehicle, the Berkshire Hathaway. And yet most managers, according to the purchase, they don't. They have very small amounts of their money in their own fund. So you should find out, does the manager eat his own cooking? That's the second thing. You should know the fees and you should know the manager's investments himself. Now, Doug, what about the fund's performance? Does that mean anything? Well, it does. It means an awful lot, but probably the broker who's selling you the fund, he may not have all the information or give you all the information you want. He may talk about a one-year track record, three-year track record, five-year track record. It may mean something, but it may mean nothing. And you know why? Why? Funds advertise the track records of the fund, but they don't tell you the track record of the manager. And suppose the manager is brand new. Suppose he's changed in the last two years. What good does a five-year track record tell you if the record isn't the manager who's at the fund? So you want to know the track record of the manager. And then even short-term performances, pretty much anybody can find some short-term performances Actually, there's a lot of luck when you go for a one-year or a three-year return. But what you want to do is you want to find a fund manager who has done well over a 10-year period or more. And then you probably have found a manager who has what it takes. So I would say those are the three things to find out about a fund. Find out what are the total fees that are involved inside the fund, including the turnover ratio. Does the fund manager himself invest in his own fund and how much? And what is the long-term performance of the manager? Those are the things I think you want to find out. So, Doug, there's, you know, on on the one hand, you have um, these three things that you've mentioned about the fund. And if uh, any of our listeners um, have mutual funds in their portfolio, another another thing uh, is that uh, where is it parked, right? Um is it being managed? Are there management fees on top of the fund expenses? Well, no, that is a very good question, Linda, because many times just the fact that it's the fund and the fees that are in there, what about the brokerage firm that may be charging you a, a fee to manage the mutual funds, the asset management fee? That, that is a greater thing that I find most people don't even pay attention to or pay little attention to. Well, and if, you're paying, if you're paying 1% a year for a management fee for a brokerage firm to manage your money and those funds have got a 1% or 2% annual expense ratio, you're being hit at the rate of about 3% a year. That can be pretty steep. So that is definitely something that our listeners need to look at. And if you're out there listening and if you've got a question about your portfolio or the expense fee uh, ratios or fees that are being charged to your portfolio, give us a call on the open lines where you're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Our numbers to call are 860-WPTF 
That's 860-9783. And if you're out of town, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. Well, Doug, another um, interesting article I saw, and we're finding that a number of large companies uh, locally and extra-locally are um, offering buyouts to their employees. You know, the economy is changing about as fast as a baby's bottom, if you know what I'm saying. It just, it's moving very rapidly. Changes are occurring. Changes are occurring. On the large scale, the economy is improving rapidly. But at the same time, people are losing jobs and there are still layoffs and consolidations. And we know what's happening with Progress Energy and we know what's happening with IBM and so forth. And so when you come down to the rubber hitting the road, there is indeed the matter of the package or the buyout offer that you may or may not be received or be, be offered, so to speak. And the article I think that you're referring to talked about a person who worked for a North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company, and he had been offered this early retirement package. They've got different names to them, but it's a very good article because the question, and we've been answering this question for probably 20 years. I can remember the early packages that came from the Sears uh, employees and the IBM ones. The question is always, do I take the package? And pretty much everybody who turns it down the first time, in my experience, later on regrets it when it comes around the second time. But it's a big, big question, and it needs to be taken very seriously and with the help of a professional, I would say. Most people that are that are um, advancing towards retirement age are doing, we hope, some kind of planning. But as I would agree with you that uh, there are folks out there because of the economy or because, I, I, you know, we find that in some companies and even the state, um, because there's not enough dollars to go go around, they're having to revisit their budgets. And one of the uh, the factors that they use is if you've been in the company for a long time, and if you're tenured or if you have a higher income, if if they let you go and let someone at a lower income take your place, then they're saving dollars. And that's the hard reality that there is that facing companies and as you say also nonprofits universities and hospitals and government it's everyone's facing it the one of the questions that i gary goldberg out of new york a financial planner then i know gary but he he was quoted in the article and he said that our personal experience is that those who have turned down buyouts often end up getting a worse deal when it's offered a year or two later because when a company does offer a buyout, it's usually because they want to reduce the workforce, like you say, Lynn. And if not enough people take it, then the layoffs start. So first they start offering the incentive packages, the buyout. And then if enough people don't take it, then they're just going to start laying off. But they got to get the numbers down. And you're exactly right. Uh, there's usually something behind the package. Well, you know, we find that depending on a person's situation, and if you out there are listening and you are in the retirement, um, pre-retirement uh, age, depending on your situation, this opportunity could be devastating or it could be exhilarating 
because uh, maybe it's an unwanted parting of ways. And in some cases, it's a chance to make a new beginning. That's right. What usually is the first thing that people have to consider if they're going to take that package or not? The most important thing to consider is how much does it cost you to live? You know, most people, in my experience, and I've been asking these questions for over 20 years to people in my office, and most people, when I ask the question, they say, well, we don't spend that much, maybe $350 on groceries, a couple of hundred dollars on cable and telephone, uh, but they really don't know what they spend. So the most important thing is to do a thorough needs analysis. Something you would do with a financial planner. That's exactly right. A financial planner should be able to help you probe to find out, are you covering all of the bases? Your expenses, Deborah, are going to break into three categories. Okay. Number one, there are the recurring monthly expenses. We call them RMEs. Okay. That's the way you spend money every month. But then number two, there are the non-monthly expenses that you have no choice, but they do occur on a regular basis, maybe semi-annual, like an insurance payment, something like that, real estate taxes. And then you have this third category called the discretionaries. What would be an example of a discretionary expense? Things that you might purchase just because you need them. Or you want them. Or you want them. Maybe clothing, travel. Something that you don't normally plan for uh, the expense of. Exactly. But a good needs analysis must take into consideration all of your discretionary as well as your recurring monthly expenses. And then you can approach the matter of, will the buyout package cover me? And if not, what's my backup Mm -hmm. plan? Uh, Itemizing the expenses has to be before everything else when you go through this thought process. There are other things. So um, what would an emergency do to your finances? That's one thing, a sudden emergency. But, you know, Lynn, in addition to the expenses, there may be uh, a, a legal perspective thinking about why you've been selected for this offer. Maybe you should think about have you done anything or is there any other incident that would make your employer want to eliminate you or your position doesn't necessarily mean you're going to file a lawsuit, but it's an important question to ask yourself and also ask about your rights. What rights do you have? Maybe you might be covered by the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act, but you should know these kinds of things from a legal perspective. Or when your benefits might run out. Oh, big one. What kind of benefits and when they're going to run out on me and so forth. Uh, You shouldn't blindly sign You should make sure that you know what's going to happen with all the little nickel and dime issues like accrued vacation, paid holidays, and things like that. And, you know, the the matter of health insurance is a big issue here. What happens to my health insurance? So these are the kinds of things to consider when you're offered the package. Also, you want to check if you qualify for unemployment, right? That's exactly right. Usually you will, but if you're being given an extended payout package, you may not be able to collect it until you've gotten the, uh, the, the last of the, of the payments. For most folks who take these offers, the two top concerns are having enough money. That is so important. Will you have enough money? And also figuring out what they will do with your spare time, what these folks will do 
once they retire? It's it's for many people. It's as big as the first question, Linda. What am I going to do with my time? I'm used to going to work nine to five every day for 20 years. Now, what am I going to do? And so forth. The particular person who was featured in that article said he was his number one fear was that he would be bored in retirement. And uh, so all of these are issues that need to be worked through slowly. And you're right with the help of a financial planner who is trained in these areas. You know, at the, uh, during the early part of the article, I, I remember that it mentioned that it might be a chance for a change. It may be that because uh, of your present uh, standing in the company, although your status has changed, that you can still go back and be a contract, uh, you know, like a consultant. Right. Or some folks go out and they start their own business and they can uh, manage their own time and not have to work full time. Right. But whatever the options are, if you've got a question about uh, a buyout offer or early retirement or forced retirement, give us a call on the open lines. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And you can also catch us on live stream on WPTF.com. Those numbers to call are 860 860- WPTF, that's 860-9783. If you're out of town, it is toll-free, 1-800-662-7979. Juanita, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you? Hi, Doug. Um, Hi, Juanita. First, let me tell you, we really enjoy your show. You've helped us out before, and um, we really appreciate it. But Okay, that makes me feel real good. Oh, I'm so glad it does. Um, You've even sent us some information that we've really appreciated. But... um, Aside from that, I'm a Canadian citizen, mm. and I recently heard that um, my family is all in Canada, mm-hmm. and I recently heard that um, when my mother dies and her estate is, is divided or, or whatever they do, um, that I will be penalized and have to pay some extraordinary tax that my brothers in Canada would not have to pay, and I, I'd like to look into it, but I'm really at a loss for where to start. Your mother hasn't died yet? No. you know about the size of the estate at all, Juanita? Well, um, not really. I really don't have any specifics. It's uh, probably, well, it'd be more than half a million, but I not a million. All right, more than half a million, uh-huh. and that'll be divided three ways? Uh-huh, about half. Uh-huh. I'd say, you know, it good half. It's a funny question you're asking me, Juanita, because usually I'm asked the other side of the question, which I thought you were going to ask me, which is what about you? Because you're in a unique situation. Your husband, American citizen? Yes. Yeah, you are in a unique citizen at the time that you die. Oh, really? Oh, yes. There is a special law that hits you. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the one I thought you were going to ask me, and I was all geared up to give you the answer on that. Oh, well, okay, that'll be part (laughs) But the other one I'm going to have to research. If you call me at the office, I'll see what I can do about that one. Our number in Raleigh is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay. Uh, if it's taxable, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, now there are what, what do they call those laws that, that are, they, they are equal between countries. For example, you can't, uh, uh, you know, live in Germany and then come over to the United States and inherit money back and forth and not pay on one side or the other. Right. We, you know, we, we but you pay can, on one side, but... Um, right, I think that's all, but I will be happy to put you in touch with somebody or see if I can do the research myself to check and see if there's a second hit. I didn't think there was a second hit mm-hmm. for you as an American as long as the estate paid the taxes up there. Right, and I'm not an American. 
I'm, I'm a Canadian citizen. Right. I cannot see why, but I can, I can look up that one for you. So what happens if, if but, I die? But now if you die, you got a big problem. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This is the deal. Hmm. Uh, there is something called the unlimited marital deduction. Are you familiar with that? Never heard of it. You can leave to a spouse an unlimited amount. A million, two million, ten million, etc., and there is no tax whatsoever when you leave to your spouse. That's called the unlimited marital deduction. Okay. But the problem is that every American citizen has a tax credit against their estate. Well, this unlimited marital deduction—I mean, this unified credit—is not allowed for uh, non-U.S. spouses. But there is a special ruling which has to do with setting up a qualified trust for non-U.S. spouses. Uh-huh. And that's a special qualified trust, which I recently have, went, have gone through doing a little research on and have recommended because I have a client who is married to, where are they from, Linda? Where is she from? Australia. Australia, right. right. And that's where I came across it. Uh, if you would like to go ahead, when you call in at the office, I'll see if I can get that uh, those rules and regulations to you. And what you need to do in your will, you see, mm-hmm. and in your husband's will, is you need to have this trust identified. So we need to go in and have our will changed or yes. whatever, updated or whatever. Yes, yes. You never can tell. For example, let's say your mom dies and leaves those assets to you, and then you leave, and then all of a sudden you do have a problem uh-huh. at your death. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah, sure. So sure. you want to be aware of that trust and uh, of that provision. For the non-U.S. spouses, and if you call up the office, I will find out if there's anything I can give you that tells you what happens to a Canadian estate's inheritance that's received by a Canadian married to a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just sort of funny when you go into the lawyer's office and you sit down and you discuss all this. They never tell you anything, you know. Yeah. They don't ever mention the danger of an I love you will, you know, and... Yeah, it's really bad. You want to have some fun sometime, get a book called, uh, what's that book I've been reading, Linda, that I like so much? Loving Trust. Loving Trusts. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't recommend it as a thing to do yourself, but it's a real eye-opener, and uh, it's it's about people using certain trust and doing it themselves and protecting themselves from lawyers who really don't know what they're doing and why they don't advise clients certain ways. And, you know, lawyers sometimes, and I have to say, I was in law school myself one day, and I deal with a lot of attorneys, but many attorneys are guilty of what they don't know they cover up by simply trying to dazzle you with their brilliance. Well, you know, it's like when you go to the doctor's office, you just have to remember that you're in charge of your body and you are mm-hmm. the last say with your body. And if you, you just okay. can't leave your body in the hands of anybody else explicitly, and it looks like you just can't leave your money in the hands of anybody else explicitly. Either. You've got to the best it. way to work is work through a financial planner mm-hmm. and let him choose the, the, the attorney because that way the planner talks to you one-on-one as I do, gets your goals, brings all these things to your attention, then he discusses with the attorney what the attorney should be doing, and together you know it works out the way you want. The number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. Okay, well, thank you so much, Doug, and Linda, too, for your help. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug, there was another interesting article I saw about caring for an elderly loved one. You can expect, you know, it's told to take on folks that have elderly parents or spouses. It's Actually, Linda, it's a duty that many of us will eventually assume. 
and that is that you can become a caregiver of an elderly loved one. We have clients right now who, as you know, are in their 60s having to take care of parents in their 90s. And so it's definitely something that needs to be realized as a possibility. And apart from the emotional demands, there's also a financial cost that the caregiver caregiver has to contend with. And the biggest problem is very few are prepared for it. Caregivers on an average, spend more than $5,500 per year in out-of-pocket expenses. And this is according to uh, some statistics. Uh, and long dis- and if you are a long-distance caregiver, uh, you probably have to shell out more than $8,700 a year for incidentals like transportation, food, supplies for, uh, you know, for the... Uh, person that you're taking care of, whether you remember it be a parent the, or a sibling or, yeah. You remember that one client we had that finally had to move to Texas because flying back and forth, back and forth to take care of the elderly parent that was in Texas and they were here in Raleigh, it was just too much. And so they eventually moved to Texas to be closer to take care of the situation of the, of, of this, of the parent. And if you're out there listening and you have a parent that is elderly or disabled, this is something that I'm sure you need to address in your situation um, as to how you can plan. Right, Doug? Yeah, it's very hard because sometimes the caregiver feels that it's becoming so intense that they better stop working or go to part-time work and everything so that they can do what they want to do for their parent. But on the other hand, that could be the worst thing because you may be cutting your own financial future by stopping your work, by killing your 401k contributions and all those things. It could be uh, very wrong. And and actually, I think most financial planners amongst my peers are going to tell you that you should think long and hard before you retire to become a caregiver. Certainly, you should meet with a certified financial planner who specializes in areas like this to go through and walk walk through all of the situational things that could be occurring. I uh, agree, Doug. And, and, and basically, the article um, exhorted folks to have the talk. Talk with your parents. Speak with them about their current assets, their current income, their debt, their spending, the percentage of their assets that are liquid, and what are their plans for covering their medical as well as their long-term needs. So it is important, isn't it, Doug, to have this conversation while your parents are still healthy and they're able to handle their own affairs. It's unfortunate that I've had many clients tell me that they want to have that discussion, but their parents don't want them to. They're from a generation where they still think it's private and and so the kids who are, of course, adult kids now in their 50s and 60s talking to me, uh, they're trying to find a way to do it. But you want your parents to understand that you're doing this not out of greed, but out of concern and a desire to be prepared if something were to happen to them. The talk has to happen. Because if not, it becomes very difficult trying to gather all the information 
I remember this one client and, oh, I think the kids came and told me that the mom who was in her 90s kept everything in the red book. And I said, well, if I could just get a copy of the red book, all of her expenses and all of her assets and all of her bank accounts. But the mom had hidden the red book and and it was really hard. Eventually, we got it all worked out. But I'm telling you, much better to do it ahead of time. And a very important factor is estate planning. Right. Make sure that you have the proper estate planning documents prepared. Particularly important is the financial power of attorney that your parents would sign giving you the power to handle their financial affairs if something happened and they became incapacitated. What about revocable living trusts? Actually, uh, Deborah, I think the revocable living trust is probably better than the power of attorney. Why would you say that? Well, because the, uh, not that it would replace a power of attorney. But the the power of attorney can be difficult with regard to assets. Now, not necessarily on signing a tax return or something, but the revocable living trust is something you can do ahead of time, and you put the assets of the parent into a the name of a into a revocable living trust. So it's now in the name of a trust. The trustee can be the parent. And the co-trustee can be the child, the adult child. So if the parent then becomes incapacitated, you don't have to go through anything by showing a power of attorney and proving that it's a, that it's a, a good power of attorney. None of that has to happen. The child simply is the co-trustee and continues just as if nothing ever happened. And what's, what's happening here is you're able to get to the assets to provide income to the parent. It's also probably a better way to explain all of the different things that need to be taken care of. It is. It's a much better way. I like the revocable living trust. I really do. We recommend it for many, many of our clients, and I have one for myself. And you you also know, you need to know what's covered with regard to Medicare as well as Medicaid. Very good. And what they will and what they won't cover when it comes to caregiving. Generally, Medicare does not it does not pay for long-term care, so it pays only for a medically necessary skilled nursing facility or home health care if you meet certain conditions. So remember that Medicare does not pay for so-called uh, custodial care. So these are very important issues, and, you know, if you still have your parents with you, God bless you. How wonderful that you can still spend these days with your loved ones. Uh, as they are are older and ailing and maybe disabled, but uh, find out what your what your rights are, what your needs are, and then make plans. Especially if you have a parent that either is going to need you know medical services or if you are their caregiver. And another thing, Doug, uh, for folks that are caregivers, you need to take care of yourself. Sometimes you know I. I I was thinking about some dear friends of ours who um the the spouse had a cardiac arrest and um the other day we got a real sweet message that they had gone out and gotten a massage <laughs> <laughs> the caregiver and, they, yeah, and the cared and the, one and the 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 husband who had had a, a cardiac arrest and is recovering well but you know take time to take care of yourselves because 
um, wellness is is part of being able to sustain your energy to take to be care the proper of your caregiver. That's exactly. right. Exactly. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you've got a question, you can call us on the open lines at 860-WPTF. That's 860-9783. If you're out of town, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. Alan, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Uh, my mother is 74, and she has a majority of her investments now in uh, certificates of deposit at different banks. Right. Uh, she does have some tax-free bonds and a few, what I would call, uh, mutual funds in utility. Right. What kind of investments should she be making now, considering her age? She's 74. 74. Uh, how much does she have in CDs? Probably 400000 400000 in CDs. And how much in her tax-free bonds? Uh, probably in all of her other investments, around 200000 more. Do you know what her living expenses are? She lives well within her um, means and uh, with little plus security she gets. What's her health like? Uh, excellent. She's a widow, Ellen? Uh, yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, assuming, you know, God forbid she died tomorrow, then this might be fine. However, uh, assuming she, if she's still in good health, then uh, she's really hurting her heirs. By the way, what about her home? Uh, it's paid for. How much is it worth? Uh, probably eighty to a hundred thousand. Well, one thing that jumps out right off the bat, knowing that she's a widow, if she's got four hundred in CDs and two hundred munis and a hundred thousand, that's uh, seven hundred thousand. And uh, if there's going to be any growth, even if there's only about a three percent, you know, with, when you're talking about those munis and, and utility funds and CDs, they're not real exciting. But even if that was the case with only 3%, at 15 years, she'd have over a million dollars. So uh, from the investment side, what I would do is I would have her in a diversified portfolio. I'd take the uh, four and two, the 600,000, and maybe break it into $50,000 unit sizes. So if you got uh, 600,000 and you divide it by your uh, $50,000 units, then she'd have... 12 investment units, and I would spread it across 12 different mutual funds, quite frankly. And in each of those cases, I would go according to the past track record of the managers. Uh, she might be in some growth in income funds. She might be in uh, some uh, corporate bond funds. She could have a couple of uh, government bond funds. She could have, even she could have a large cap international fund because She's able to live off of whatever portfolio she's in. So really what we're designing here is a portfolio that's going to let the estate grow the best for her heirs. You see what I'm saying? I understand. The phone number at the office is 919-872-7000. But then I would also do the estate plan simultaneously. And you could do that one of a couple of ways. But one way that comes to mind would be using the Section 664 Trust she has the very strong possibility of leaving an estate well over a million dollars if she lives a little while. And so you could have all of this growth in the Section 664 Trust with uh, yourself. And how many other heirs are there besides yourself? A total of four. 
Well, you could have four beneficiaries, income beneficiaries from the trust, so that the trust would then pay out for the lifetime of those four. She's of the age that grew up during the Depression. Right. How do you get them to understand that the money in the CDs is a losing proposition to her just because of inflation? Well... And, and how to get into something maybe a little more risky, but still a very safe investment. Well, it's not a matter of risky or safe. It's a matter of her living expenses being met. How much do you think she needs to live on? She's living on about $15,000 a year. $15,000 divided by 600000 is 2%, 2.5%. Well, we could increase her income to 30000 a year without having any real risk, in my opinion, of depleting principal. Most senior citizens need to have education from an independent certified financial planner, someone who is impartial, not trying to sell them something, but someone who can educate, analyze, and decide what's best, and help them understand what's best. Very often when they see that their estate is going to be paying a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes, that really uh, starts to bother them. So it's an educational process. Uh, if she's open for education, then you should set up a meeting with a certified financial planner and let her uh, um, go through a session of education. We find this is a typical situation. We 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 have a, lot, know, we have, we have a uh, lot of cases like a that. lot of widows that you know their husbands accumulated you know over their lifetime, or maybe they both were you know had income, and uh, or they inherited assets that have appreciated, and um, they don't always need all the income, but you want to. Certainly, as Doug said, you want to make sure you're meeting her her need, but also you want to look to the future, right, Doug? Yeah, but I think Alan's question is, how do you explain that to her? He understands it very well, and the answer is still, uh, the, uh, you've got to get her in front of a planner. Usually, the child cannot explain that to the mom and dad. Right. It's, That's it's, been our experience. The children that have brought them to us, usually, uh, it's a very different environment then because the exactly. planner is able to speak directly, you know, with the parent. So, uh, if you'd like to call the office, Alan, our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And thank you so much for calling. All right, thank you. Take care now. All right, you're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're taking your calls at WPTF, 680 WPTF, at 860-9783, and out-of-towners, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979, and if you're in your car, it's star 680. Well, Doug, um, also I just wanted to announce that if you're out there listening and you've been recently widowed or if you're going through a divorce or, or you know, uh, need mediation, that uh, call us at the office at Lewis Financial Management, LLC. That number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Well, Doug, I, w- I wanted to ask a question about that last caller. It was an archive call. Um, would you still use a charitable trust in that situation? I'm glad you asked that question, Linda. No, uh, that is a call from the archives. And with the new estate tax laws, which say that you can leave $5 million tax-free, I would not, in that case, recommend the Section 664 trust again. No, I don't think so. Uh, of course, uh, the new tax law is only good for two years, but I think I would not still recommend it. No. Well, Doug, there was a very, very interesting article. And again, as we've been talking about 
early retirement, planned retirement. Um, it's interesting. Uh, this article uh, was entitled, he says, Maine, and she says, Florida. So there are a lot of folks out there that are actually thinking about planning for retirement and uh, haven't always consummated or really planned on when they're going to retire and where they're going to live and what kind of income they're going to plan on, et cetera. Did you see that article? Well, I didn't read it thoroughly, but what I like about what you're saying is that we're so used to talking about planning and avoiding problems, financial problems, and how to do the math. But this is the opposite time, isn't it? This is the kind of story where you've done it. Okay, you've accumulated enough. You're financially independent. Now you're going to pull the plug and you are in your financial independence stage of life. You're financially independent. You're retired. And now it's not a uh, a financial issue as much as did you plan lifestyles? Is that what you were focusing on, Lynn? Yes, exactly. Lifestyles. Because... Um, an important issue is having communication with your spouse and planning. And most people end up pro- procrastinating. And, you know, the the article focused on how do you want to spend your life when you retire? Where do you want to live? And where will we be happy if we live in a particular place? Um the article uh, said that it may be the trickiest and the most troublesome issue that couples face when approaching retirement. Where are you going to live? That's interesting. That's really interesting because you think about it. You go through life. Uh, each of you has had your own life in one way. Maybe he's been going to work and she's been going to work and you've both been accumulating. And uh, But you haven't really sat down and said, you know, all right, now when we stop, what are we going to do? Yeah, so that, you know, in one scenario, uh, there's the thought, well, why not seize the moment and, and settle in the destination of your dreams? You know, some folks, uh, want to live, uh, abroad, like in Italy. Others, they just want to live in New York City and, and walk to the library. Others don't want to do that. They'd rather live in Tampa, Florida. So, um, but, but what happens when spouses don't share the same dream. Hmm. How do they resolve their differences? Yeah. How do they? Well, the answers are rarely easy. And in some cases, people are doing, couples are remaining married, but these would-be retirees say that they may wind up living in different places so that they can pursue their own interests while remaining married and there's an abbreviation to this. It's called LAT, LAT, living apart together. I think that's kind of crazy. I don't, I don't like LATs. What do you think, Deborah? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I'm not going to work for 30 years or 25 years and then decide, okay, now we're going to live apart for the rest of our well, lives. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing if you're working and but you, you have didn't to plan. Travel. That's the whole point. They didn't plan. Okay, on how they're going to, yeah, how are their dreams going to come together when they've both made financial independence? What well, else was in the article that well, you liked? It, you know, the article also said that if, if couples can begin to talk about the issues that they really do get to know what's important to each of, each of them, and then they can develop a shared vision. Oh, good. For example, you know, there was, there was this one couple, the, both of them were doctors, 
and uh, living in Denver. And so here the wife was wanting, she always had this dream of wanting to practice medicine overseas. Well, her husband was really surprised, and he also was a primary care physician, and he just wants to stay in Denver in retirement. And But she's determined to pursue her dream, so, you know, there's going to have to be a, a kind of a, a compromise somewhere, don't you think? He probably liked the slopes. Yeah, He probably right. liked to ski. <laughs> It's it's working out the dreams, and, and and a financial planner can help. I've done that many a time through the years. I've sat in my office with the clients and saying, all right, I see you can make it. Now, what do you want to do with your lives? How do you want to spend your time? Uh, what's coming in the next six months? What's coming in the next 12 months? And to, to crystallize those dreams, that becomes part of the total financial planning. Well, there was one study uh, where they found that wide that there was widespread disagreement amongst couples, and there was a lack of communication between spouses that were approaching retirement. Um, so, and it even said that some sixty percent of the couples in the study didn't agree on when they would retire. I'll bet you it also said some of them wanted to work a little bit and others didn't, like because what. A- what do I do all day long? Do I want to maybe keep working part-time? Well, you know, we find that, that, that a lot of folks that have worked 20 or 30 years, they just get burned out. And so, but they really want to start planning and having conversations with their spouses about when, and usually there's procrastination in the picture. But what else do you think, Doug? I don't know. important in this issue. I don't know. I think the big thing is to go ahead and to crystallize uh, the dream, talk it over, meet with the financial planner who is working with you on the financial side and also on the lifestyle side. And also another thing that you want to look at that's important is planning for your income on retirement it, while you're in retirement. If you're going to still be working part time, how that's going to affect your overall income and Social Security. Mm-hmm. And taxes, right? That's right. And during the retirement, probably wondering how it's going to last. How how long is this is is all of this retirement savings and investments and portfolio that you've accumulated? How long yeah. is this going to last? Um, the one article that I read this week was in regard to knowing how the how long and for and to what degree the nest egg may or may not last. The advice that they gave in the article, Dad, the one that I showed you, I don't think that I agreed with. It was basically saying that you needed to have a set percentage withdrawn, withdrawing from, from the portfolio at a certain, I guess, schedule or time. Well, I don't like that approach. I like the approach of starting with the need. I think I hear the music coming. Let's pick this up next week. And we'll go from there. Everybody have a great week. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. 
For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 6.05 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.